Today on Sharp Scratch, you'll learn what you could say when a patient makes an offensive comment, when it's okay to walk away, and just how many people could be affected by your response. You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode six, how to treat someone who is racist or sexist. This is the podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we get medical students, new doctors and experts all into the same room to talk about those topics that you really need to know to be a doctor, but that you probably won't learn at medical school. I'm Lauren Inez Mulder and I'm the editorial scholar at the BMJ and I'm also a medical student from the University of Cambridge and I'm joined by our treasured medical student Raihan and new doctor Chadera. Would you guys introduce yourselves? Yeah, so my name's Raihan Hussain. I'm a fourth year medical student and a YouTuber. And you're about to go on a lecture, aren't you? Yes, I am. Are you excited? Very excited. Where are you going? So I'm going to Costa Rica and Vietnam and then travelling in between. Wow. And Shadera, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Shadera Ota and I'm a first year foundation doctor um, and I do a little bit of YouTube and podcasting in my free time. Nice. Where did you go on your elective? Um, so I went to Atlanta and shadowed a neurosurgeon for the first four weeks and got about two hours sleep over the course of the two weeks. And then I went to St. Lucia and I had the time of my life. Maybe <laughs> we should do an electives episode. I want to hear more we about We could this. do, yeah. But moving on, we've got a, a wonderful expert guest in the room, Nadine. Would you introduce yourself? Thanks. I'm not sure I'm an expert guest, but um, I'm Nadine Mogul. I 36 years in the medical profession, including my time in medical school. Yes, I know. I feel very old. In <laughs> um, I think I'm now in my elective phase of my career. I'm doing things that I'm really enjoying. I'm doing things that I want to do, working with people I want to work with. What's so that? it's really good fun. Well, so I'm a consultant pediatric nephrologist by background or profession, if that's the right term. And I stopped doing that a while ago and was doing lots of Interesting stuff, uh, learning stuff, uh, transforming um, services and healthcare providers. Um. Dreamy. I mean, he sounds like an expert to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's normal to find people unlikable wherever you go, right? It's, it's normal as individuals. There are some people in life you just don't get on with, right? Mm-hmm. And as future doctors, we're challenged to treat everyone with the same level of compassion and care. You know, that's our... That's our duty, that's our responsibility. It's our, it's our privilege, right? You know, uh, But some patients can make that more of a challenge, right? And you know, if you meet a patient who's openly rude as a med student, you can choose to leave, you can choose to walk away because as med students, we can apply our learning in different places. But at some point, Raihan and me, we're gonna be junior doctors and Jadari are already in that situation where you don't have to walk away, you, you're responsible for mm-hmm. their care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, could a patient's views or mannerisms toward you change the way you treat them? Should they? How do we navigate that and continue to be good, caring, compassionate doctors in the face of that? That's what we're going to try and tackle today. It's quite a big topic. We'll see how far we get. So I know that in my own experience, I've encountered a few patients mm-hmm. who I thought, you know, wow, if we met in a different context, I might yeah. walk away because I feel uncomfortable here. You know, have you, have you encountered patients like that, Raihan? Yeah. So, to be honest, they were friendly with me. Honestly, they were they were they were really nice, and we were just sat having a chat. And she was talking about the her new neighbour, and um, she had said, "Oh, across the road, um, these darkies moved into our oh, street." Wow. And there's me sat there, like, 
well, what do I say here? Like, <laughs> do do I tell her she's wrong? Do I tell her she she can't use that word, or do I just like, am I sh- should I be offended or or what? Do you know what I mean? And it's it's weird because you you never get taught in medical school, and especially not in your first year of how to deal with a patient like this. But it was quite a weird and awkward situation. But I just yeah, carried so on like as if she'd not said yeah. anything, and she. I, I don't think she realised that it's an offensive word and that she she's potentially offending me. I wasn't offended, really. I've had far worse comments, racist comments made, but it's just something that was quite weird. I didn't mm. know how to really And perhaps react. in a different context, you'd have, been yeah. able, you'd have felt more able to yeah. disagree with her, but in that... Yeah. Well, I mean, what made you react that way? It's because you're a medical student, she's a patient patients come first you you don't want to tell them off you don't want to it's weird you you, you're not you don't have much power in a situation like this outside of medicine I would correct someone if they use that word you can't use that word it's it's incorrect it's racist to an extent doctors we do work in a service role and I think we still sometimes have the attitude of you know the customer is always right so I can understand why it it can feel difficult when you're correcting a patient in the same way that I guess like if you were a waiter or a waitress, y- you might not tell a customer actually you, how you're behaving is inappropriate. We, we work in what we want to be a patient-centred organisation, a patient-centred career. And does that mean the patient at the centre is always the focus, focus and is always correct regardless? And I think that it can be hard to toe that line. Yeah. Of, the, the example you used as a waiter, mm. I've worked as a waiter and I've had difficult customers and mm. I, will, I will correct them and, and mm. that's not an issue. Mm. And it's because I'm not afraid to lose my job as a waiter. I can find another job. Being struck off or being done for professionalism because you were rude to a patient in your first year of medical school is a lot more serious and a lot more mm-hmm. severe than... Nadir, I can see that you're you're frowning. You look really concerned as we're sharing the story. <laughs> I mean, do you want to get something off your chest here? Well, so first of all, I must never play poker, must I? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just concerned about your anxiety about coming across as rude or being done by the GMC. Mm-hmm. I mean, a bit later, I'd really like to hear some more detail on how we can respond yeah. professionally. But before we get on to that, Chidera, when you said, I mean, it seemed like you related to Raihan's mm-hmm. story. Have you also met patients on the way who were either racist or who, in a different way, made you feel like you just didn't wouldn't actually get on with them if you weren't in this context? I mean, I think the thing is that when someone's in hospital, particularly in, you know the, the, during an inpatient stay, you're probably interacting with them at one of the worst points of their life. Mm. And, you know, the average human being has the potential to be a pretty terrible person at any point in the day. This is what we established last episode yeah. too, isn't it? And as I've said, you know, we all have maybe lost our temper when we're stressed or whatever. But if you imagine that you're very unwell, you probably feel awful. You know, you maybe you've, got, you've just been given a very serious diagnosis or maybe you don't even have a diagnosis yet and you don't know what's going on. That is a very you know emotional time to be in and so I have unfortunately dealt with quite a few patients who have lost their temper who have been angry who have been rude who have been outright confrontational or angry to the point where I've felt scared and uncomfortable Mm. and not yeah just not felt safe Mm. um I can think of a particular patient and he would shout at staff yell insults be incredibly rude and I don't think I've ever felt more exposed really in my entire life if not career than that moment um and it really was very scary because he 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 was 
quite a lot bigger than me and he would use his bo- you know when you're talking to someone like body language is important but mm-hmm. there are there are types of body language where you think this is actively aggressive now but this was also a patient that we it wasn't safe to discharge you know he still had ongoing care needs and it was really hard because I felt like I have to do a ward round and see this patient every day but he's actively aggressive and rude to the staff every day when we see him and I felt bad for the nurses who would be sat in that bay all day mm. and dealing with a man who's yelling insults and and I mean it's constant like you know without break wow and I I still now I, I remember that was probably the first time that I have, I'd ever written a reflective piece which as doctors were often called to do and at the end of the reflection you're supposed to put sort of and what will you do to prevent this situation happening again I just thought I don't know <laughs> well, I, I still don't know what to do in this situation so what did you and the team do um, if anything so we have um this sort of yellow card red card system at my hospital which I think a lot do I mean that, that's like a, a football like to reference. the football so you know the first time you do something quite bad you get a yellow card who, who gets the yellow card sorry. so the patient will get a oh, yellow card okay. and normally the ward sister or sometimes even you know consultant depending on what's happened and who's the most appropriate will speak to the patient and say we've had to give you a yellow card because you've done something wrong but the issue is that understandably even if someone's at the point where they've been given a red card and they've acted out again discharging a patient really is a last resort if they aren't well and if they need more care and I think a lot of patients are aware of the fact that realistically a lot of us be very hesitant to say okay you have to leave because they're sick and I don't want the patient to leave who's sick and isn't well and I've had patients who have been yellow carded whose behavior hasn't changed because why would they change when they know at the end of the day I I don't want to kick you out of the hospital because you're sick and it's in my nature to make me make you want to feel better yeah (laughs) That's really interesting. How about you, Nadim? In your many years of experience, well, I, I think it's fair to say I've I'm, I've had many moments when I've had uh, experience with what I uh, I would rather call the term uh, patients and parents in difficulty rather than uh, just difficult parents. Mm. I remember reading a article many years ago now in the archives of disease and childhood, effectively saying that there is no such thing as a difficult parent. Mm. Um, and I think from my perspective, I think that's generally true. I think they come anxious, worried, poor experience in even getting into healthcare services. Anxieties that you and I would find very difficult unless, if we haven't been through something similar to understand. I mean, intense fears that they're expressed in many, many different ways. Uh, and I'm not sure that we prepare... Uh, our doctors well enough to understand that complexity and also for the sort of lives they come from Mm. actually you know the economic social stressed environments that are really shocking that we don't even see sight of I mean 63% of the UK doctors are private education sourced yeah so I would start to wonder and I'm not I know it's a generalization how do you then begin to understand the life of a family in you know, the poorest p- parts of any of our cities, be they East London or even in parts of Biker or wherever in Newcastle, uh, that we really understand the stresses that they're going through. So I have experienced really stressed parents, really angry parents. But I've always tried to figure out, you know, that actually my job is to understand that rather than to pass judgment. And I think that's mm. the biggest challenge. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing up there that I mean, and let this set the tone for the whole episode. You know, this is yeah. not, we're not talking about us versus patients. No. We're not talking about 
so-called difficult patients, which is probably a phrase that is way too overused in healthcare, yeah. right? We're talking about relationships, you know? We're talking about relationships that need work to overcome differences that you might th think that in a normal situation wouldn't you wouldn't be able to overcome. Uh, mm. that in a normal situation you'd walk away from but in this context we need to work work on for the sake of the patient for the sake of our other patients and so on and sometimes that might mean seeing less of the patient if you feel very uncomfortable or unsafe mm. as in your situation Jadera and sometimes that might mean exploring issues with your patients as you suggest Nadim like trying to understand where they're coming from and so on So is it right with you guys if I just share a quick story of my own that yeah. I've experienced? So, I mean, it's not it didn't happen to me. It happened to a friend of mine that I had many uh, clinical communication skills classes with. Uh, but then again, it is, isn't also, it's not a super unique story. So she was, she came to a class and shared uh, over the past, you know, this was like three months into our clinical school. So she said over the past three months, I've met many patients who have just been a bit too flirty and a bit too charming mm. and in a normal situation I would mm -hmm. correct them or say please don't say that but I don't know how to react in a way that won't compromise the patient-doctor relationship in this situation. Chidori you'll, you'll know this perhaps you guys know this in a you know too uh, you know the, the patient who is perhaps like a big uh, maybe a bit older and in perhaps like a kindly way says oh aren't I lucky to have such a beautiful oh, yes. doctor looking after me oh good grief oh I would have come in early if I'd known you'd be here <laughs> oh, oh god right <laughs> um, and for her this came to a pinnacle where someone commented that he'd thought that she was a boy at first because she had such small breasts and for her she didn't know what to do in that situation oh, she changed her mind internally I'm no longer going to examine this patient I'll just take a history and then I'll walk away but she, she came to the clinical session the clinical communication session saying you know we're, I mean today we were talking about sad and angry patients it wasn't on the agenda can I stay after the class and role play this situation again to figure out what to say to prepare mm -hmm. and so on so I, I mean I had somewhere I couldn't stick around for that part of the session because it did sort of go after the end but I went home and I then googled you know what do I say to her flirty patient how do I deal with that you know what would I say and at the time I found some useful personal stories but I didn't find any clear-cut how-to's which yeah. you know as we've established in this podcast we love the clear-cut 10 steps to get out of a situation kind of thing yeah. um, but when I was preparing for this episode I went online and I found uh, an article that was published in The Lancet that attempts to provide some kind of structure kind of provided an algorithm mm -hmm. of how to react in a situation where you feel unsafe particularly in the case of sexual harassment and when I read it I thought you know what, I've just got to speak to the, the authors of this so that's what I did I contacted the lead author and we had a really good chat about the paper so should we listen to it yeah, yeah. I am a pulmonologist and critical care doctor by training and I have an outpatient pulmonary clinic and in that clinic, I was meeting a new patient who was looking to establish care at our institution. And it started off in an inappropriate way when I walked right into the room to introduce myself um, as the physician taking care of him. And the gestures and the eye contact and the look and the comment of, I'm so lucky to have such an attractive, hot doctor. I can't wait to start a relationship with you. Wow. How did you feel? really, really confused and unsettled, mm. not knowing what I would do 
because he had to come back as a return visit. And having to experience that again was just not something I was particularly looking forward to. So what that led to was a discussion with the program at the institution and, and us trying to figure out, well, what were the rules? And could I transfer this patient to another colleague? Or what did the institution do for patients that were inappropriate with physician staff? And essentially, there were gaps. There, It was handled at the local level, but there was no direct policy written for what to do when these situations occurred. I was fortunate. Um, I have a very supportive uh, administrative staff for the fellowship program. And it was decided the minute I brought up my concern about the patient and how uncomfortable I felt, the automatic response was, you will not see him again. If he needs to be seen, he will be transferred to a male colleague. So I was relieved to hear the response of like, you won't have to see him again. But even like sharing the story with male colleagues, it was interesting to hear, well, why did you let it get that far? Why didn't you just walk out of the room? Supportive, nonetheless, of like, oh, you, he shouldn't have done that. But the question of like, how could you let it get there was a response of male colleagues. And yet sharing the story with female colleagues, it was, this happens all the time, sir. I think there's a subtle distinction between how the genders handle patient encounters to a certain extent that was slightly apparent to me with the responses because it never would have occurred to me to just walk out of the room. I think this is one of the issues with the patient-initiated sexual harassment is that we're so trained to not eat, not sleep, not go to the restroom, not take, of any, not take any care of yourself while you're taking care of these patients, whether you're in the hospital or outside in the clinic, that you self-sacrifice to the nth degree. But that's coming at a cost, and it's a cost that many of us have ignored for quite some time. I mean, it affects the patients the rest of the day, and it may even affect you the, for the rest of your life. If, you, if you're scarred enough, if there's an encounter that impacts you enough, there were weeks afterwards where I did not want to see older male patients. That's a really big impact. Or comments of like, is that too friendly? Am I being too friendly with that patient? But if I have to make that more formalized, it goes against everything of how I build a patient-physician relationship, which at the end of the day is the hallmark of what we're creating with our patients. So you can imagine that in that in interview, it gave me a lot of like <laughs> food for thought. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna come back to it. We're gonna reflect on what it means. I can see Nadine that you've written loads of things down. Chidera, you and I were sort of nodding and assenting throughout the whole of it. So we'll come back and and discuss the interview. Uh, but that will be right after this. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. 
You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. So, Jadera, you and I were nodding throughout that. You seem to find that quite a relatable experience. Can you tell me what you were thinking? Um, I mean, I was thinking that it sounds all too familiar, to be honest. I think, I mean, like she was saying, we we do self-sacrifice for patients because, like I said, like this is a patient-centred job. This is a, a job that is centred on making someone else feel comfortable and feel better. And the weird thing with sexual harassment is that, particularly as women, we're still getting to a point where we actively recognise what is right, what is wrong, what oversteps the boundaries. But... <laughs> I mean, like, it, I don't really know how to focus what I want to say because it's going to sound weird, but even if a patient is being too flirty or a bit forward, sometimes you just think, well, this patient's on side. You know, mm-hmm. I'm getting on with them, even in a way that's making me feel very uncomfortable. But is me doing anything about that going to damage that rapport, damage that relationship that we we all know is all important to that patient doctor I mean, communication and going forward with their care. So I completely understand what she's experienced and I completely understand also the the hesitancy that a lot of people who have been in that position will have to actually do anything about it. You know, I've been to plenty of either GP practices or even now in my job when, again, it it does tend to be a sort of older male patients who... Who seem to have, like, kind intentions, And I think that's the issue is that it's not meant maliciously, but it does create... I mean, I don't want someone to comment on my appearance because I know for a fact that if my male colleague walked into the room, that's not what you would say. I know you're maybe trying to be complimentary and you're maybe on on the patient's part, are they're trying to create some sort of rapport. But it's just so difficult to know what to do in that situation because you don't want to damage what maybe is at least a positive feeling from them towards you. But also, how can you not feel uncomfortable when someone's commenting on your body or your appearance when this is one that you've got to examine and again do fairly intimate not in that way but you know what I mean things with you know talk to you about them and their lives and it's it's just so complicated I totally know what you mean Shadera and I too have sort of gone around in these circles Mm. of you know like what what's right for me what's right for the patient yeah um uh, maybe we should come back to that and see if we can get some concrete advice there but another point I want to pick up from from this interview with Liz is that it sounded like she had a lot of support from her institution that she raised the issue and straight away people thought hang on there is a hole here let's let's fill that hole let's solve this problem um and i know from reading an article that you wrote a little while ago nadim in the bmj that you yourself have been an institution where perhaps the institution wasn't immediately supportive would you be all right sharing that story with us yeah sure um it was a um fascinating case that actually uh, reflected a number of things about individuals, teams, and the governance of organizations in one sense. We have a patient uh, whose parents made it really clear in a consultation, the father saying, not wishing to be rude, but I don't want my daughter to look after by a packy. Wow. And the doctor, clearly from the Indian subcontinent, felt extremely uncomfortable. Of course. Um, and stressed, and actually got up and sought her consultant for support. And the consultant immediately came to support her uh, colleague and made it really clear at that moment that actually that was inappropriate mm-hmm. and that the consultation was going to end uh, and that she was going to seek support from the organization. And I think there are some lessons within that based on what we've just been listening to. Mm. 
But this became more complicated, and there is a fair amount of story to this, which I fell into accidentally, by chance, into discovering how this all came about. But when it was revealed about a year into the history of the organization that this had actually happened, but actually worse, that the leadership had said, well, actually, because of the rare nature of the condition and that there was only a few centers that could look after this child, we were duty-bound to look after this child and appease the parents' wish that the child be only seen by a white English doctor. Oh, my goodness. So for a year, the organization effectively enabled, or rather, let's put it more fairly, the service was constructed in such a way that the patient only ever saw a white, actually one particular white English doctor. And it was actually quite shocking to add to this story, which was when the child was a little bit more acutely ill and the parents phoned seeking support, that doctor's first action was to phone the day unit to find out what type of doctors were on the day unit. Hmm. That's... Quite interesting and quite perhaps shocking. Yeah. But in any case, this event, this, this sort of construct of relationship hmm. uh, continued for the best part of a year. <clears throat> and it got revealed, I would argue, um, in a very interesting uh, meeting where a number of consultants were in the room being trained on diversity. <laughs> which was where the story came out as an example of good decision-making by the leadership. Oh. (laughs) What? Oh, right. Okay. I didn't see that coming. (laughs) No, neither did I, and neither did a number of us. (laughs) (laughs) Against which we then regaled that this was wrong, and actually um, my comment was, and it shall remain with me forever, I said, actually, what you've done is for the first time in my career you have now defined me as an Asian first rather than as a doctor colleague first. And actually you've done this to the whole organization and all the people that are of an ethnic origin with more melanin than most of the people in the organization. There was actually quite a resistance to accept that. Um, It took a huge concerted effort by those prepared to make the effort, both white and Asian doctors, I have to tell you, And it was a very difficult journey, very difficult, to the point where, in the end, the decision was reversed. Uh, Of course, the family relented because these individuals are bullies, and bullies, when confronted, will relent so that the care could be continued as you would with anybody coming in. So there you've talked about what leadership should do. What about, well, what did you do as someone not in leadership? Like, what, what steps did you actually take How did you make your feelings known? So this wasn't my patient or my service. Sure. Right. But So I immediately, uh, I first of all checked with my colleagues, oddly enough, to say, did did I actually hear that? I went (laughs) afterwards, I was was so (laughs) aghast. I went back and was going, did did that really happen? Uh, And then I wrote to my colleagues and said, that really did happen, didn't it? (laughs) Uh, For which they then confirmed. And I said, well, we've got to do something about it. so I, I approached the individual, thought that was a brilliant example of good leadership. No insight, as far as I could find. I asked my white colleagues to challenge, again, a refusal to accept that that was really a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wrote, uh, it was like a petition, which was really, I mean, I found that really uncomfortable. Here I was having to address something as locally as I could, rather than going up the organization and saying, listen, this is something we should be able to fix within 
our own uh, grasp. And, of course, even that was uh, pushed back. So then we ended up, actually, just a small number of us wrote a very serious letter to uh, the chief executive and the medical director. Thanks for sharing those steps with us. That kind of demonstrates you, a few like, you, different But you should never, try. but I felt we should never have had to do that. Yeah. You know, I, really, I think that was a step that I found really difficult and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I predicted the response of the organization. I told my colleagues, I'll tell you, I'll tell you now, they will fight this, they will blame us as messengers. Uh, and we will feel very uncomfortable out of this. And mm-hmm. it's exactly what happened to to the people that raised this. So your example highlights how these patient choices, these patient views can play out, like have a really big ripple effect and affect not only their patient-doctor relationship, but the entire hospital. And beyond, and society itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's bring this back to that, that consultation room, that patient-doctor relationship. Sure. Um, one thing that Liz and I talked about in the interview that uh, wasn't in that particular clip there was about knowing how do you know when you feel safe or unsafe. And this mm-hmm. is something you yeah. picked on before about that sort of grey area, not knowing, you know, wanting to leave the situation with the patient who was shouting insults, yeah. wanting to give them good care in your role as a doctor, sometimes ignoring those feelings of discomfort. But really, you know, what my friend learned in her clinical communication skills session, you know, that... There are certain things we can say and do. And actually what struck me from your story, Nadim, is is that, that doctor's reaction in that co- first consultation, that they stopped the consultation, said they were uncomfortable, and left, which is so different to what Liz did. Um, I don't know if this is... I mean, is this an OK question to ask? Was, was that colleague male or female? Female. Female colleague who asserted that she felt uncomfortable and shut down that yeah. conversation. I mean, there are, these are different. Um, I, this is uh, These are patients that are, are difficult rather than patients that are in difficulty, first of all. So they're difficult for different reasons, for reasons of their sexism, their racism, but they are certainly difficult in relation to the way they behave with the profession. No question about that. So I think the approach has to be different, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm not somebody that have, has experienced what you've described, certainly, or what female doctors seem to experience much more than people appreciate. And certainly my wife, the legend GP, has also experienced <laughs> these things as well. Of course, yeah. Um, I think the, the uh, at risk of, not, well, I don't want to be mansplaining this because I haven't experienced <laughs> these things. Look at me sounding like a millennial. Um, <laughs> I, I think the, I think the, the, the approach, it, which is trainable, I would mm-hmm. argue, uh, and you know something that you can build into your your repertoire is uh, when you feel unsafe, you mm-hmm. do what she did, which is say, "Listen, I need to just stop the consultation, and leave the room, and seek support that comes into the room." So then you're immediately safe when you're addressing the issue, right? Or if you have built the confidence to not have to go and get a colleague out, you do. You learn to do what I think I've, uh, colleagues have told me that they do. They very calmly, rather than abreact in that tone, very calmly explain that this is uh, an unprofessional thing to relay and an inappropriate thing to relay to me as a professional. Mm. And that actually I now need to stop the consultation and make it clear that I can no longer look after you. Mm. So one thing that I reflected on when you say, you know, let's stop the consultation one thing that comes to mind, well, what the hell do I say? Like, how do I do that? Yeah. You know, I've never had to do that in real life. You 
So that clearly well, means we can train you into this. Definitely. And if it's all right, I'd just like to share with you a little snippet from my conversation with Liz, where I said to her, what do I actually say? Yeah. <laughs> what do I actually do? So is it all right if we just listen to that and maybe, sure. maybe we'll be able to get a few strategies to help us? It's not if this will happen, it's when this will happen for people. And being prepared is always the best thing, as hard as that is to say. Hopefully trainees start practicing lines in their head so that they have something to call upon when this, when this happens to them. The interesting part is I've learned it from nursing because they encounter it, I think, a lot more than physicians do because they have so much patient contact is stop that. You just completely call it out as is, like stop, that's inappropriate, I'm here to take care of you. Or I don't appreciate that comment, you're making me feel uncomfortable. I think those have been the most common lines and lines that I've used, or can you explain what you mean by that? So some key phrases there that we could implement and particularly want like the first one, you know, please stop that. I'm here to take care of you. Yeah. Does exactly kind of pinpoints that bit that you were afraid of. You know, it helps them to reflect on what they've said, but enables you to keep in that role of caring for them. Uh, yeah, I just, I would always hope that if I did say that, that I guess maybe I'm just a very socially awkward person, but I think I'd be scared that I'd say that and I wouldn't be able to go back to maybe whatever rapport I've spent the last however long building, you know? Even with that second phrase, uh, I'm here to take stop care that, that makes me feel uncomfortable, mm. where, I don't know, that's like kind of classic yeah. confrontation <clears throat> language, isn't it? Like, you said this, it made me feel this. See, I think before you, you, before you say that, it, you're right, it does sound kind of confrontational so I think before you say that if you say as as she mentioned in the interview um, hold on a minute can you clarify what you meant by that it kind of buys you time because when you're in a situation like this you're kind of it hits you and you, you don't really you don't really know you, you you don't expect it and you don't know what to reply so then when they say this and you, you, you if you can reply to them hold on a minute can you clarify what you what you meant or what you mean by this then that's really interesting because I found that one the most confrontational one to say because it kind of puts them in a very vulnerable position and but I think forces them to explain themselves and so on. What? I do kind of get what Ryan means though because I guess if you ask someone, oh sorry, you know you have to kind of p- pretend. I'm oh, sorry, I'm not quite sure what you meant yeah. by that. Maybe explain yeah. it. That will force them into the position of reflection already, maybe. And then, because I think it's almost mm. the direct confrontation of that makes me uncomfortable. That I think makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas maybe if they come to that realization themselves, I might feel better. Nadim, you seem absolutely bursting to, <laughs> to, to jump in here. Can you help yeah. us out? Well, I'm, I, d- I don't know that I can be as constructive as I'd like to be here. But I think the approach just has to be really clear. Yeah. Because if you go down the route of trying to unwind their thinking, mm-hmm. you're into a whole bunch of rabbit holes and traps. Yeah. Okay? That's my view, anyway, uh, on this. And the second thing is that if you have to retain that care for that moment, then I think it's important that you make it really clear that this is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. You'll complete the care that you need to provide, but then actually, from then on, this is not going to be what you're going to do. Because... How do you feel when you go back to that individual who's already objectified you in a particular way? Yeah. Okay? Because that's not going to go away, is it? That sense that that individual has said something and described you in a particular way is now out there between you and the relationship, right? So whatever you say now, you're not going to change what it might be decades of their thinking with continued transaction 
and building the trust that you need. So I think your duty is to say, it can't be me anymore. It's going to have to be somebody else mm -hmm. that deals with this. Because the other aspect of this is it's not just about you because this individual is doing it to other people. That's very true. Right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's about you, but it's not just about you. So how you now react to this will have an impact on every one of your colleagues that that patient now engages with. You know, that's something I hadn't really thought about, actually, because, yeah, if no one ever says, you know, what you're doing is really inappropriate, you essentially just pass the buck on to someone exactly. else to deal. I guess if we're looking at sort of the situation described in the interview, mm -hmm. it's not a particular wish to not deal with you. It's just more that someone's being, again, in this case, sexually mm -hmm. inappropriate. Yeah. So I guess in that situation, I do understand what you're saying in terms of maybe the shock of someone saying you know this is very inappropriate i'm going to complete this consultation and then i'm going to party on someone else unlikely to change their views on women but it might make them think twice before they next tell them you know the next doctor that comes in you know you look very pretty today i guess with the with the situation where a patient has been racist i do still agree actually because i think at the point where you maybe have said what you're saying is inappropriate i guess the relationship has actually changed on both yeah, sides completely so maybe, yeah the relationship you, the thing that you you're describing is i still need to continue the relationship the way you've constructed it in your mind mm -hmm. is never going to be there now mm -hmm. is it it never is because of what's been released out in that conversation mm -hmm. now in the racist encounter right um you you can say actually the way this team constructs you'll get whoever you get mm -hmm. to look after your child which was the answer to uh, the, the problem in the end. And in fact, that wasn't the first time that happened in that organization. And my colleague, who I have huge respect for, had stated really clearly without having to escalate across the whole of the organization, I'm sorry, but this isn't going to continue. I'm going to make it really clear. This is how the team is constructed. You will get who you get. Uh, and if you feel you this isn't for you, then go to another hospital. Because actually, frankly, I expect them to behave the same way as we did. And the family immediately relented. Mm -hmm. Now, in, the, in, the, in, this, in this sexual objectification of doctor-colleagues-in-a-trust relationship, I think that's a that's more difficult, actually. Mm -hmm. Really, I think it is, because you trying to continue that relationship over a chronic care relationship or a clinic consultation means that you can't remove that in your thinking of what that person's ever said to you. Mm -hmm. And you've got a duty to your colleagues, I would argue, to say, no, so this is inappropriate, absolutely wrong. I will finish this consultation or I won't continue with the consultation. Uh, and actually, I think it's appropriate that your care is transferred to somebody else who needs to understand how you need to engage properly in a relationship of your health, because this is about your health. And eventually, if they carry on behaving like this, they'll run out of road, I would have thought. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? But actually, you've got that duty to yourself and to your colleagues. And to your other patients that and you're going to keep seeing patients. as well. Like, you know, Liz pointed out how... Her experience made her feel very wary about yeah. being her usual friendly self, um, especially around, you know, and made her reluctant to see male patients as well. So just think of the like the ripple effects that that has. So we're going to try and sum up what we've learned from today. I'm not sure how easily we can fit it into sort of five clear steps for what to do mm -hmm. when you're when you meet a patient you just can't get on with. Uh, but just before we get into that, I'd just like to let you guys know listening how much we appreciate you listening to our podcast. We hope you find it really useful and helpful as much as we do here in the room. Um, and as a thank you, to, just to show you how much we appreciate you listening, we've worked together with On Examination 
to have a special discount for all Sharp Scratch listeners. Um, so if you've not heard of it, on examination is a question bank for medical exams. And I, for one, based my entire revision strategy last year on exam questions. I just think they're invaluable. I wish I'd known sooner that on examination's got a tailored question banks for the first three years of med school as well as for finalists. Uh, but hey, I missed out on that. But you listeners at home can make the most of it. So on examination are giving us all a special sharp scratch discount of 15%. So if you're going for, say, the first year med student exam, then you'll pay £8.50 instead of 10 quid for a three month subscription. Um, and the discounts are across all med student exams. And also if you're a junior doctor, the MRCP part one. Uh, so head to the student section of onexamination.com, select your exam and enter SHARP SCRATCH, all caps, no spaces, at the checkout for a 15% discount. That's 15% off on examination with a promo code of SHARP SCRATCH, all caps, no spaces. And I'm really sorry today we haven't spoken to on examination about uh, about the uh, MRCS. Just, just get on it, just make yeah. sure, write that email. <laughs> because medicine is all about passing exams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we're about in Sharp Scratch, aren't we? <laughs> All right, let's get back to trying to summarise what we've learned today. So, w- let's see. We've 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 come up with that if you, you know, that we need to try and figure out what patients are coming from when mm-hmm. they're rude or angry towards us. You know, it's not it's not just about labelling them as a difficult patient, but about yeah, not about a patient being a, a patient in difficulty rather than a difficult patient. That's the that's the phrase. We've learned that. When we feel uncomfortable or unsafe, there's specific things that we can say or do, and that has an impact on ourselves, on the patients, their relationship with healthcare, your colleagues, your other patients, has really wide-reaching implications. But Mm -hmm. we've also learned that it's super hard to actually do that, (laughs) and that even when we come up with these set phrases, we all are still kind of unsure about how, what effect that will have on the relationship and how to navigate that. I'm not super sure we've come away with easy answers or a clear how-to for next time but I am feeling more confident myself for going forward I don't know what do you think Jadera? Um, I definitely think that this has made me feel like I'm actually more in my rights to say let's just put a stop here this is mm-hmm. inappropriate and I'm uncomfortable and maybe you should be seeing someone else I definitely feel a bit more empowered to say you've made me feel uncomfortable and that's not okay. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, I think the main thing that I've got away from this is that I do definitely feel more empowered uh, to speak up in a situation like this, thanks to Nadim. And yeah, it's not something we should be afraid of as such, but um, when we are put in a situation like this, we should speak up and do something about it because as much as we care about the patient, we also have to care about um, the doctors as well. And Nadim, in all your experience of being a clinician and being a clinical director and everything you do on professionalism now, what advice can you give to medical students and newly qualified doctors listening when it comes to caring for patients that they just can't get on with? I think it's part of what your summary says. First of all, remember that um, you know, the patient in front of you is a patient in difficulty for reasons you may never understand yeah. or have the time to understand. And then actually um, you have to be a really good listener and you have to really pass no judgment on what you're hearing in order to get them out of their difficulty. That's the first thing. The second is that there will be patients that are difficult on the areas that we've talked about around, say, racism or sexism. 
uh, and actually you need to, to build those strategies that we've talked about but work with your peers I think and and seek support really primarily as the easy way to start to solve these problems rather than carry them yourself because actually in the end you have a duty to yourself and to your colleagues and to your future patients as you highlighted and the third thing is that I'm reminded is that I clearly truly do live and live and learn from my legend wife <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, extra expert guest in <laughs> So one theme that's also really come out from this conversation today is the topic of racism, whether that's coming from patients or whether that's how an institution responds to things. Um, and I just want to say that Chidera and I are working on something for later this year. We're going to have an entire episode devoted to this topic. And we're really excited. We're sort of in the planning stages. So please do feel free to reach out to us on social media with your own stories and ideas. Uh, you know, we're really excited to have your input into this as well. So look out for that. So that's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening. If you'd like to hear more from us, then do subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks' time, you'll get our next episode straight to your phone. And in the meantime, check us out on social media. Start talking to us. That's absolutely fine. We're all on different ones, but you can see it on the website. <laughs> and you can follow Student BMJ on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do let us know what you think uh, and use the hashtag Sharp Scratch. And it's also super, help, super helpful to us if you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, because it really helps other med students find the show. And we do love hearing your ideas for what you cover on later in the season. Uh, next time on Sharp Scratch, we'll be talking about making your first mistake as a doctor. Another big topic coming up. <laughs> Until then, goodbye from me. Bye from me. Goodbye from me. And bye from me. <laughs>